Welcome back to the first Sound the Foghorn of 2021. My name is Mark DeLuke, and this is Fansided's official San Francisco Giants podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and stay updated on all your San Francisco Giants news and rumors over at AroundTheFoghorn.com. If you aren't following us on Facebook, follow us there. If you aren't following us on Twitter, go to at AroundTheFoghorn to follow us there. This is, again, our first episode of the year. It is our 11th episode on the season, I guess, of the offseason. And I had a great, we're going to do things a bit differently today because I had a great conversation with Kytavia Stafford uh, about the 2020 season, looking back on that. We also talked about her Dodgers fandom, sort of looking at uh, where the Dodgers stand, what are their roster weaknesses. You know, obviously, Giants fans, we all know that the Giants are not on the same plane with the Dodgers right now. They're not competing there, right? The Dodgers and Padres are in their own tier in the National League West. And so I wanted to also start taking some of these podcasts to take a look around the division to say, you know, how far off are the Giants, but also, you know, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses of these teams? But in doing that, we talked, uh, again, a really fun, wide-ranging conversation about what to make of 2020 and all the dynamics, whether it was the pandemic that obviously shortened the season, the uh, political ramifications of a lot of things that got their way on the field. But in that, because you know Kai is most focused uh, on the Dodgers, we, we focus there. And so we didn't get a chance to talk about the more recent Giants moves. And so I, I'm going to sort of talk about and try to recap my thoughts on what the Giants have been doing recently. This is our first episode since before Christmas. So it's now been three weeks now since I recorded and wanted to sort of give my thoughts on what the Giants have done this offseason. Today, uh, I'm recording this on Saturday. This will obviously go up Sunday morning. Giants traded right-handed pitcher Sam Coonrod to the Philadelphia Phillies for a pitching prospect by the name of Carson Ragsdale. Ragsdale was a fourth-round pick by the Phillies in this year's draft. So obviously, Ragsdale is not going to be a fixture in the Giants' rotation this season and probably anytime soon. But the Giants have essentially turned Coonrod, who was probably going to be competing for a bullpen spot, um, but was holding up a spot on the 40-man roster into a prospect that actually projects somewhat similarly to Coonrod. Coonrod was a guy who kind of oscillated between the bullpen and starting in college, lacked command, had some strikeouts, had some stuff, but wasn't particularly effective. Ragsdale at the University of South Florida had big strikeout numbers, big walk, some concerning walk numbers. For the most of his career, was a reliever, but this year as a starter with South Florida, he made four starts and had a really impressive outing against the University of Florida, which is the top-ranked team in the country. And so he might, uh, it would not be shocking, and it sounds from the way Farhan Zaidi was talking about him in his press conference after the trade. They're going to try to develop Ragsdale as a starter, which it's worth noting is actually how Sam Coonrod was first developed. He was first used as a starter, but then he reached double, triple A, started to stall, and so he was moved to the bullpen, uh, and that's where he, how he made his debut. And I think Ragsdale might sort of work along a similar timeline. Uh, what's interesting about that, of course, is the Giants' bullpen is not necessarily a particular strength, I think most fans would say. But I think it's worth pointing out, again, Coonrod was not particularly effective last year. He had his moments where, you know, especially after he came off the IL, after the injury, came off the injured list, was hitting 101, looked like he'd found some new command, but then by the end of the year, it had wavered once again, obviously blowing two saves in the team's final three games in that final series against the Padres. And, you know, if they'd won one of those games, they would have made the postseason. But the one thing I think the Giants has to keep in mind is last season, there was a dart of right-handed 
pitching options in that bullpen, right? You had Tyler Rogers, who was inconsistent early on, but became one of the more trustworthy right-handed options. And really, Sean Anderson and Coonrod were the next tier. That's no longer the case, right? They added Matt Whistler to a one-year, $3.5 million deal in December, who was a solid reliever with the Minnesota Twins last year. In the break of this podcast, the Giants have signed John Brebbia. He was a setup man for the Cardinals. He's not going to be a fixture in the rotation on the bullpen on opening day because last June he went under Tommy John surgery. But uh, presumably, you know, the 12, 14 month timeline by July, definitely by August, he should be working his way back to the field. And Brebby is a guy who was a, was a legitimate setup option for the Cardinals for a number of years. He has a career 314 ERA, 198 strikeouts and 175 innings, uh, not, not a high amount of walks. So had he not suffered an injury, he would be one of that top kind of tier of setup options on the market. So they've already added two right-handed options there. Whistler, who will obviously make the opening day roster. Brebbia, who will probably play a role down the road. But they've quietly also added a number of really intriguing veteran, proven, well, somewhat proven, but veteran right-handed arms through minor league free agency. Dominique Leone is someone who debuted with the Cardinals, has had actually a quietly pretty productive career, but had a really bad year last year. The Giants had him on a minor league contract. And I reported it a a couple days ago, uh, Jay Jackson, who I've been intrigued with for a while because he was a top starting pitching prospect with the Chicago Cubs years ago. And in 2015, moved to the bullpen with, I believe he was in the San Diego Padres organization, and he just dominated double-A and triple-A, actually made a late-season September call-up debut for the Padres in a few games. Then he went to Japan, played for three years there, and was a premium bullpen arm in the NPB, which you know is considered the best professional baseball league that is not Major League Baseball in the world. He threw over 100 innings, struck out over 200 batters, had a 2-1-6 ERA, and then in 2019, signed a minor league deal with the Brewers, had a one-year 1.33 ERA in the Pacific Coast League, earned a call up to Milwaukee, and he was not elite by any stretch of the imagination. He finished the year with the Brewers with a 4.45 ERA. He had some inflated walks, about five per nine innings, but he struck out 47 batters in 30 innings. I mean, that's huge swing and miss stuff. I was expecting him this past off se- last offseason to get a small big league deal, not too different from what we saw Whistler sign this offseason with the Giants. But whatever reason, he signed a deal to go back to Japan, then after a few outings, actually came back state signed, signed a minor league deal with the Reds, and was at their alternate site, but never appeared in the big leagues, but he's another guy who I think, again, the Giants say, you know, between Jay Jackson, between Matt Whistler, between John Brebbia, between Dominique Leone, and when we get to the Giants' relief prospects, guys like Camilo Doval, who's the best relief pitching prospect in the Giants' system, another right-handed pitcher, the Giants said, you know what, we kind of have a 40-man roster crunch now. If they were going to sign another free agent, we know they they need to sign another, uh, need to acquire another starting pitcher. They were going to have to find a spot anyway. So they can now move Coonrod, ag- acquire another prospect in Ragsdale, who presumably they scouted pretty heavily in the lead-up to the draft. And they feel like they have good depth options to supplement it. So again, we, we're seeing the Giants work along the margins of the roster primarily, and it is frustrating 
And especially, right, you know, again, since our last podcast, the uh, Padres have acquired Blake Snell. They've acquired Ha-Sung Kim. They've acquired you, Darvish. And they they might not even be done, you know. And so it, it is kind of frustrating from a Giants perspective. But I think it's worth keeping in mind, important to keep in mind, they are going to have to open their pocketbooks. There is no way to get on par with the Dodgers or Padres right now, barring some incredibly unprecedented luck to get there in the next year without some massive spending or massive aggressiveness. And even then, it wouldn't be a guarantee. Had the Giants been the ones to acquire Blake Snell, had the Giants signed Ha-Sung Kim, had the Giants traded for Francisco Lindor, there's still a pretty strong argument that the Dodgers and Padres would have been as good at teams. And so this is the reality the Giants find themselves in now. Now, obviously, they should not be resolved to this second tier of the National League West. They should, they should be playing on par with the Dodgers, with the Padres. And again, I will sit here and say the Giants should spend money because all teams should be investing in their on-field product. They should be trying to get better. But I understand right now why they're being somewhat cautious because again, I think there is a certain level of push and pull understanding that their prospects, Marco Luciano, Elliot Ramos, Hunter Bishop, even Joey Bart, aren't ready to compete yet, or at least don't look like they're you know going to be MVP caliber players in the near future, and that there isn't there aren't enough of those players available to the Giants to put them on par with the Padres and Dodgers right now. And so I can again, I can understand why President of Baseball Operations Farhan Saidi, General Manager Scott Harris would say, let's wait one more year. Let's let our prospects play in what sh- will likely be at least more of a minor league season in 2020 than we had, or 2021 than we had in 2020. Reevaluate and then spend when money starts coming off the books next year. We're f- hopefully further removed from the worst of the pandemic from a financial standpoint. And we have a loaded free agent class that includes Francisco Lindor and Corey Seager and Noah Syndergaard and players like that, who then at that point, the Giants could dominate. Now, at, with that said, I, there is reason for caution. Like, I don't want to be sitting here and saying, we can keep kicking this can down the road, and yes, they'll eventually spend. We don't know that. And, and fans should be critical until they do. They should be cautiously optimistic. Because again, I like what Zaidi has done from a prospect-building standpoint. I like what he's done on the depths and the margins of this roster. I like the Coonrod trade. I like the Jackson signing. I like the Whistler signing. I like the DiSclefani signing. But... The diff, those moves have a limit to what they're able to do for a team. And ultimately, again, if they, I believe, and it's what Saidi has said, basically, that they are trying to build the foundation, the framework to which to add the stars that will cost the big money to build a World Series championship contender. And they appear to be on that track. However it is worth consistently questioning whether they're going to ever spend at that level. And the answer, we, we don't know, right? Until they do, we don't know. And I, some people are skeptical that they didn't make a bid for Bryce Harper. I do believe that they did consider Bryce Harper someone who they would be willing to spend for because they understood at his age, Harper could still be a really good player when they believed their window would be open. And so, you know, along the lines of looking at multi-year players, they obviously still have this hole in the starting rotation, and we recently saw some news with that as well. Japanese ace, 
Tomoyuki Sugano, who was with the Yomori Giants, was posted. They were considered finalists for him. The market was narrowing. It looked like he could be the bigger starting pitching acquisition to solidify that unit around him, Johnny Cueto, uh, free agent signing Anthony Sclafani, Kevin Gaussman, and a competition maybe between Logan Webb, uh, you know, Sean Jelly, some minor league free agent signings. Maybe they bring Tyler Anderson back, something to that effect. But Sugano ends up choosing not to sign with an American team. Uh, cite, he didn't sign anything in particular, but there had been reports leading up to the, tra- the deadline he had to sign, which was January 7th, that he had concerns about COVID-19 in the United States, which, again, is entirely warranted. warranted. If you look at the situation in Japan right now compared to the United States, it is night and day. So he ends up re-signing with the Yomori Giants for a four-year's $40 million contract, which, again, good for him on that. That's... Well, I don't know for sure if that's the largest deal the NPB has given out. I know normally I, I, I you see numbers like five or six million dollars as a high salary in the NPB, and so um, really good payday for him. But that leaves the Giants with uh, with still a hole in the starting rotation. Now there are plenty of really good starters out there. There's Jose Quintana, Jake Odorizzi, obviously. Trevor Bauer, and again, I've written why I would not sign Trevor Bauer. I don't think it's a good signing for a whole host of reasons, but he is still out there. Masahiro Tanaka, Taiwan Walker are all still free agents. So there's still a lot of dominoes to fall and still a lot of uncertainty around the Giants roster. And so with that in mind, I thought it was a perfect time to have a conversation with someone uh, like Kaitavia Stafford, who really, again, talks about baseball and knows a lot about baseball, but also about the, I think, you know, sort of taking inventory of what 2020 was and looking ahead to what it could mean for 2021 and beyond. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. And then when after the commercial, we're going to come right back in with my conversation with her. Uh, that again, I, I really think you'll enjoy. Today, it is our 11th episode, and I'm joined by Kaitavia Stafford. Kai, how are you doing? I'm doing great. A little tired. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. You know, it's, I mean, relative, right? Like everything's relative nowadays. You know what I mean? Like I'm glad to be finally chatting with you because I think you have a fantastic Swiss army knife of a Twitter presence, you know, (laughs) doing baseball, sports, politics, the pandemic and all that. And and right now I feel like that's what I need. That's what I want to talk about. So I'm happy to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be on. It's an honor. Definitely. Like I have been so excited, like a little nervous, but definitely, definitely excited to be on the podcast to talk about baseball because it's my favorite sport and it makes me so happy and people make fun of me for it. And I'm just happy to nerd out about it. (laughs) Yeah. So how did, you know, because in the context of all this, right, like, you know, full disclosure, everyone, you know, you're you're a Dodgers fan. Y'all finally got your World Series after a few decades. You know, how did all that was going on this year, like impact your fandom? Like, you know, did it? feel different than it you know had you guys won a year or two ago and like you know how how were you kind of dealing with that going through it to be honest I will admit my perspective on MLB changed like I would say despite like I never wanted to play but it kind of it was hard not to root for the team that I love you know but it was also frustrating at the end even when we do win the World Series like freaking Justin Turner testing positive for COVID and like I'm like that whole thing is so it's still bothering me how it was handled and all, all of this stuff you know and also just the way like baseball handled like you know like 
Black Lives Matter and things that happened. So it just becomes difficult to be a fan of like sports in general. But it was it was like good to support the team I loved, but also a little bit hard to navigate supporting them like in this weird capitalist system where it's like you don't really care about like the people who are actually on the field or even like the lives of people. It's just about like the profit and that's all that we're caring about. So it's but I was so happy for them. It's just so many things to navigate, you know, <laughs> but it's hard being a fan of the team and like especially when everything seems to be bad. But I try to find like the silver lining and a little bit of it. And, like I'm just happy they won a championship finally. I wish we would have won more from all those postseason appearances that broke my heart. But you know what? Hopefully you have a repeat this year. Yeah, and I think it's also for me, it's been kind of a similar thing where it's like you're looking at the individual players and some of them it's like, you know, you you like want to root for like individual players in it but they're caught in this trap too, right? Like, you know, before we start recording, we were talking about, you know, yesterday Steph Curry goes off and, and helps, you know, the Warriors come back against the Clippers. And it's like, I'm both like, you know, I feel I, like I said, like I felt cleansed by that. Like that was just great to watch, exciting to watch. I'm obviously happy for him and happy for the players. At the same time, there's also this like broader spectrum of like, man, I don't know if it's like, I f- like I'd be scared if I was like one of these guys, family members, you know what I mean? About like what they're doing right now. Exactly. It feels almost like it's this weird thing that I'm whispering about. Like, I want to tell people, like, hey, the fact that Seth Curry tested positive is a really, really big deal. And I don't understand why you guys think COVID is just, like, circumventing basketball games. and only happens in practice. Like, when somebody tests positive, everything should be shut down. But it just seems like people don't really care. Like, the coach, the Browns testing positive, I don't know why they're even able to play. Like, it doesn't make sense to me, but since we're just going to pretend, it feels like we're in this fantasy land, so I guess I guess I have to pretend with them, you know, because it's going to go on. I figured this out, you know, at this point, even with the NHL is going to start late, it just feels so weird that people, I keep in updates about positive COVID tests, because it's like, aren't y'all, like, why are you surprised? Like, you know, it, it, it's almost kind of, like, questionable as if I were covering it like this anymore, because it shouldn't be a shock, because we're literally having people play with a contagious virus what's so shocking about people getting a virus when we're having people play still you know but i guess we'll continue to get the updates of every person whoever gets positive you know in sports yeah (laughs) that was the thing when sports was coming back and people were prepping it was like i think what you know the media and really what you know even players unions i think weren't necessarily thinking about is like once they committed we're going to play through this virus you know unless there's something written down that says when we have this many tests or this amount of people who are shut down, quote unquote, like we're going to shut it down again. Cause to to me, it's like, right. Once we said we're going to restart, it's like, I can't, it's like these leagues have said, we're going to go through cause we're going to like, it's, we're going to play through, we're going to treat these like a sprained ankle and we're going to, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, that was, I think the, I mean, you know, one of many things we could talk about here, but I think like, that's the thing is like, I felt like with these leagues, what, was most obviously missing was when they came back and said, we're going to run this schedule. What is the point at which you will shut down again? Because otherwise I think what we've seen, right. Is that there has, we had that point has not been reached or that that point may not exist unless the government gets to a point where they're starting to shut things down again. Like we saw in February, right. When the basketball season got ended and spring training got shut down, that was in, in part a reaction to, you know, no one knew or not no one, but right. Like people in leagues is like, there was uncertainty and, you know, even lots of local municipalities were shutting stuff down. So the sports league Mm -hmm. responded, but now that they've been back in it and, you know, 
that, you know, you mentioned Black Lives Matter, you know, the 100 year anniversary of the founding of the first major Negro Leagues, like that was a prominent part of baseball alongside this, like this was a, or the 2020 baseball season, right, had like so many things that have been both missing from the discourse, but not necessarily were in the discourse in probably the way we'd like them to either that last year. So like looking back, is there something that stands out to you like the most of all that happened? Or is it just like there's too much to even like delineate? This question is so powerful, right? So there's like a lot of things. I was trying to think of a single thing and then I figured out like, let me just have some bullet points, right? So I felt like the fact that they even managed to play, like we've seen the MLB like have strikes before and things like that and not play. So I was surprised that they managed to condense a 162 game season into something that was valid enough. Cause that for me, it's like, you know, some of the sports were already played or it was only playoffs. Like I understand how how NBA works because you know, they just had to do the playoffs. But, like, it was weird to start a season during a pandemic, especially such a long season, all the travel, and the, it just didn't seem realistic. And you know how baseball is with all the different rules and different stadiums. So it just, for me, I just thought they were going to cancel it, period. And plus, it's just, like, you, I still was in that weird feeling of, like, wow, it feels kind of sick wanting to watch these people play. Like, you know, I don't know, it kind of felt gross. And also, I was surprised to see um, baseball's response I have it in quotations to Black Lives Matter and the police brutality with George Floyd and countless others. It was, it was like both, not rewarding. How do I explain it? It was frustrating, but it made me feel like something is going to change in the future, like somewhat hopeful, but also it was kind of like, wow, why is it taking so long? And like, just like the Red Sox recognizing, you know, Adam Jones was finally like, why did it take this? Why, why does it take people to die again and again? And also, why did it take this person? You know, black folks have been dying for hundreds and thousands of years due to white supremacy, racism, etc. And it just took this one person or it being on camera or like, did you not pay attention the last time? Or even like the things I saw from Joey Votto, like, oh, wow, now I get it. I really was so angry with that type of stuff. Like, it, it kind of made me nauseous. So almost at some point, it became good to see the exposure, but at some point, also, it became overexposure. So that's kind of, like, a complex thing about it. Also, it, it's good to see, like, a lot of the new young talent and personalities within baseball, and especially the Black Latinx, you know, players it makes me it makes my heart really warm to see we have such a great future within baseball so like I'm just excited for that and hopefully the league catches up with all the talent all the personalities that we do have playing right now you like bring up I think that sort of tension that like when we're talking about like the Black Lives Matter like we're gonna you know the and baseball wasn't alone this right like corporations around the country doing the you know institutional racism and we need to you know break these things down and we've been silent for too long kind of things and I think it's one of those things where there was the original conversation the original reactions that came up that players right like were given a platform by like prominent media people who normally weren't by even teams themselves by even managers even some president of baseball operations um were you know coming out in, in support of these stances but it reached a point where it often does with these professional leagues and you know again we corporations and all yada 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 we won't but where it became a point almost where it was self-congratulatory right where it was it started where here's this reaction here's this platform here's these things that we need to improve in baseball as a broader society but then also like reached a point where it's like here's how baseball is so great like here's how we fix this and it's like you guys haven't like we haven't done anything here other than like all right 
acknowledge this is a problem. How are we going to substantively address this? Are, you know, what's going on in, in clubhouses? What's going on, you know, at, at the broader level in little leagues and, you know, um, and all this stuff. And I think that's what makes it, again, like I think you said, right, where there is room to take hope from it and also room to be like incredibly like angry because it's like, what about this is, is sparking this? And so I, I wonder to you, how do you think these things carry over into the 2021 MLB season and beyond? Like, what do you see is that tension that's going to uh, go in there? So to be honest, you really like touched on a lot of things I, I felt. So I really want to echo a lot of the things that you said, because I felt like a lot of the things that MLB addresses is in word, but not in action. Um, like, I know they have like the RBI program to like, you know, have like in, you know, quote unquote inner cities, but like, you know, for me, I like things to be dedicated and intentional. No, I want programs for black kids, you know, or, you know, programs for kids with disabilities or kids, you know, things for like that. We need to have put names and have intentions because I think this inner city urban, it gets kind of mixed up and I just want it to be very intentional. Right. So I think it was interesting to see blackness quote unquote more recognized in, in baseball, but we still have so much to work on or I guess like, not we, I think more is baseball. Cause like, you know, black folks have been here. We've been existing. Baseball's our sport. We've been here, but we just been trying, we've been silenced for so long. And we have these unwritten rules in baseball, the lack of black coaches, staff, higher management, the fa- failure to rec- recognize the blackness of Latinx players. It's so frustrating. People conflate race, ethnicity, nationality. And, you know, we don't have a lot of black American players like we used to, which is a tragedy. But it's also frustrating to ignore the, the rich history of black Latinx folks, especially when we could have players like Roberto Clemente, who identified as black and Latinx proudly. And, you know, the all black Pirates lineup who had Latinx players considered there as well because they identified as black. But it seems like now when we have an article written about Clemente considering Tatis and Acuna and Lindor, they just completely ignore that these are black people. I don't understand how they don't understand, you know, that race or David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez. These are black Latinx folks and that's okay to recognize, but it seems like it's this hush word, you know, and that's why they have this personality. They get treated the same way, you know, Tim Anderson does. Why? Because they're black men. And I don't think people make that connection, right? Um, also, there's more black media that needs to be happening, or black media. Um, I'm also tired of MLB Twitter accounts, you know, cosplaying blackness with the AAVE. It makes me so uncomfortable. And I just feel like MLB is nothing without black folks. And that's a fact. And I think if you disagree, people just don't really know history. Yeah. And it comes down to where this sort of we, you know, you can go back again to how Major League Baseball dealt with the Negro Leagues and treated them differently than other independent league teams at the time and how when players signed, you know, back then it was, you know, the, there was no minor leagues. You went to an independent league team and if you wanted to sign a player, you would pay that independent league team a certain amount of money to do that. And that's how like the Pacific Coast League and all these minor leagues, many of them started as independent leagues that would essentially sell players, much like we see, you know, teams in Japan and Korea do um, now the MLB teams and that helped them be financially viable. But when Branch Rickey signs Jackie Robinson, he basically deems the Negro Leagues not legitimate, right? Illegitimate. He doesn't pay a, a, a fee to them. He doesn't, you know, um, do this. And that sets this precedent that leads to that league to fail. And, and we see sort of to today where it's this kicking the can down the road of we're going to celebrate 
certain involvement, but we aren't mm-hmm. going to, like you said, when we get to that like intentional purpose. And that's to me, I think what's so frustrating is that if there are fans that are going to be turned off by certain things, the league has to reckon with them not saying no to those fans, them, the league not saying we are going to have black players. We are going to have black people in positions of power and we are going to let them express themselves. And we are, and if you have a problem with it, you have a problem with us. Like their unwillingness to do that on a grand scale mm-hmm. is implicitly right. Saying the opposite. It is saying that, you know, that we're limiting black people's space in this sport that, like you said, in so many ways is founded on that. And that's, I think, what's so incredibly frustrating because this is like in it, sports is an opportunity, right? Like this is like, again, like you're talking about, you know, for black Latinx people is like, this is a conversation that is not just missing from baseball. It's missing from like the entire country's like, you know, mm-hmm. understanding a race and ethnicity. like baseball is this incredible opportunity, this incredible stage to actually parse that and like give people an opportunity to kind of get into these much more nuanced understandings of things um, that it it just continues to kind of leave on the table and ignore. You definitely had a lot of profound things and it was beautiful the way you put it. And I really appreciate the way you stated everything because it made me feel a little bit seen. And that's why I'm glad we have podcasts like yours um, that we have fans who understand baseball, but also the complicated feelings that it brings out when you're critical of things that you love. And I think it's important that you can love something and be critical of it. No doubt. And so we're going to take a quick break. Everyone stick around here. We got more with Kai Stafford after the break, and we're going to talk a little bit again, you know, this is a Giants podcast, but we want to take, some inventory around the National League West. So we're going to talk. She's a Dodgers fan. She knows most about the Dodgers. And we're going to talk to her about that. So when it comes to this offseason, obviously the Dodgers are coming off that World Series title, hoping to build more. You, you got Mookie Betts long-term to everyone else's in baseball's frustration. But what is your biggest question, you know, for the Dodgers that's heading into the offseason and continues to be uh, as they, because from my understanding, they haven't really made any major moves up to this point. Yes, for lack of a better expression, who's on third? I really, really want to know who's going to play third base for the Dodgers. It seems like the Dodgers haven't gotten to meet a contract deal with Justin Turner that is feasible with the years. I think he wants a bit more extra years and money that the Dodgers don't want to give. So I don't know if he doesn't budge. I'm kind of debating on who's going to be playing third base. And the Dodgers don't really want to budge with their cap space, so... You know, it's really, really a big, big question mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where, you know, from the Giants fan perspective, you, you wonder, are they going to tap into one of those prospects? Maybe they think Gavin Lux is ready or someone along that. But, you know, then there's you're hearing these names like Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado thrown out there. And, you know, uh, the Padres have always been making a big number of moves we, we've been thinking about. But that'd be a, a heck of a, a splash for the Dodgers this offseason if they come out with one of those guys. Are there any free agents, you know, beyond Turner, obviously, because that would fill an obvious hole at their base. Are there any free agents out there that you think could go a long way towards helping the Dodgers, you know, kind of stay at the top next season? Okay, so you didn't mention it, and I don't know if people know that uh, the Yankees are actually my favorite top, top team since I was a baby, but I started liking the Dodgers in middle school. Um, I was a big fan of Matt Kemp playing Kershaw and things like that. So 
I'm going to say, even though I want the Yankees to get DJ LeMahieu, I know it will be an amazing addition to the Dodgers um, if they can't agree on a deal with Justin Turner. So I think, like, Justin Turner should be a priority, you know, because I think they can – I want him to get, like, a little hometown discount, especially if he wants to win a ring again, but apparently he's not budging. Um, but they still kind of want to send the luxury tax, and they have limited cap space, so I don't really know what they're going to do. Um, but also, you know, Chris Bryant is a, an interesting character, but he has a one-year deal, so that kind of makes things a little bit murky, because you don't want to, he's not, he, he's not guaranteed to commit with the Dodgers, and I think we kind of want to not have to have more holes to fill. Um, also, I know that Eugenio Suarez is in the mix, but I don't know exactly about, like, how we would offload prospects or how that deal would go, but in terms of also, like, some folks who are a little bit, like, lower tier or mid to le- lower and cheaper levels. I think like Eric Sogard or Jed Jerko would be good options as well. Oh, and also I love my guy Kenley Kenley Jansen. Um and I know we just signed Blake Trinan, but I really, really think the Dodgers need a closer. God, like watching the playoffs, I was so anxious. Like, you know, as a Yankees fan, you know, I'm sad I'm used to having these knockout closers and it's, it's tough, but Kenley didn't really do the job sometimes, and it kind of felt like I was on the edge of my seat, and I literally had to watch every pitch, and I was so afraid, right? So I know Liam Hendricks is still out there, right? Um, maybe they can make a move, but, you know, I just would really, really feel comfortable with having a closer, and I think it would kind of, like, solidify our status and up our chances of doing the really, really difficult thing of making a repeat championship. Definitely, and, you know, on – Talking about that repeat championship, I think probably the, in some sense, the biggest challenge to that now might be in their own division. You know, the, the Padres go out, they make a trade for you, Darvish. They make a trade for Blake Snell. They add Haseon Kim from Korea. You know, do you think after all these moves, you know, the Padres had the second best record in the National League last year, obviously acquired Mike Clevenger. He'll be out next year, but they still have a number uh, of really good players, obviously, for now. Tatis is obviously the, the center of that, Manny Machado and others as well. Do you think the Dodgers are still right now the best team in the NL West, or do you think they still need to fill in some of that hole, those holes you're talking about? So I do still think we're the best team. I sound a little, you know, gassing ourselves up, but I can't act like the, the Padres aren't applying pressure. So, you know, if I was a Padres fan, to be honest, I would be a little excited. So I do think it would be in the best interest of the Dodgers to make a few piece additions. I don't think we'll make like a huge splash. You know, I feel like the cap space is something that they're trying to think about. And when you think about our future and who we want to sign, it's it's kind of difficult, right? Um, but I think the Dodgers need to make some moves to set us over the top because the Padres are becoming some serious contenders. And, you know, in our own division, that's pretty tough. And I think we really, really need to make some, at least some small or minor additions to solidify our status. Yeah, and I, you know, you mentioned Turner, obviously, because that's the obvious one. And like you said, right now, again, I mentioned Lux or, you know, someone like that internally, but it, it does seem like, that's a, a spot right now where, you know, you bring him back or you do bring in someone even, you know, obviously a LeMahieu or a Brian or someone like that would obviously be a huge name, but you know, that, that would go, I think a long way to sort of basically having that lineup that has no holes, right. You're just filling everything up. And, you know, we mentioned in some sense, you know, obviously the Padres are in the same division, but we're seeing 
I think it's sort of an interesting thing. This is kind of a tangential point, but we're really seeing, you know, in some sense, the Do- teams are following the Dodgers trend, right? You know, last year, um, we, over the last few years, we've seen this off season where teams aren't spending teams are being pretty cautious, even star free stars on the trade market aren't getting necessarily a big market. And of course the Dodgers go out last year, they trade for Mookie bets. They don't have to give up a, a whole lot in terms of prospect capital. He's, but he's only, you know, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. People are quote unquote nervous about the rental. They obviously go, they ink Mookie bets. They give him a huge contract. They win the world series and we're seeing right. The Padres in some sense, you know, did a similar thing. They're taking on Darvish. They're taking on Snell to make a run at the Dodgers. The Mets, you know, they just acquired Francisco Lindor earlier this week. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we had, we couldn't keel it. You guys get him too now. Let's <laughs> no, for the Yankees. <laughs> but yeah, so looking ahead, you know, the Dodgers are really set up. Like I mentioned, they lock up Mookie Betts. They have, you know, uh, still a stacked farm system. They obviously still have young guys, you know, like Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger, you know, a team like the giants. We know, you know, I feel like everyone fans, you know, if you don't, I'm going to break it to you. You know, when there's the giants aren't catching the Dodgers, they probably aren't catching the Padres unless a whole host of things happen that are entirely unpredictable. Like if there is an Achilles heel, you know, on the Dodgers, like what is your, I guess, if I had to tell you, what is your, the biggest concern or question mark that could kind of undo the Dodgers from this real rain at the top of the NL West? What do you think that is? So how are the Dodgers going to manage staying contenders while also managing players who are going to need to get, you know, paid soon, like Seager and Bueller, when they seem to be trying to stand up the luxury tax? So, um, you know, as the Padres are going to, I mean, as they're actually building their rank um, and as other teams in the MLB are building their status, you know, how are the Dodgers going to pay their younger stars and, you know, maybe perhaps try to make big moves and get free agents? Will they? It it seems a bit difficult if they don't want to spend money because this luxury tax seems to be a thing that they're not trying to budge with. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately, I think, uh, like ultimately what it comes down to, right? For so many teams, the difference between contending and not contending, you know, obviously a lot of it's prospects, right? The Dodgers have done an incredible job drafting and developing guys. They've traded for guys like Mookie Betts. They've, they've been aggressive, but it's also just often comes down to teams being willing to like spend, right? Like the Dodgers, you know, everyone, I, I know that we're, people were talking about, you know, the Cubs are trying to follow the Dodgers when they were bad and they were trading. It's like the Dodgers paid like $100 million of salary on the Marlins so they could get better prospects like they're the the, to a credit to Dodgers ownership and again you know not to celebrate them just in the context of Major League Baseball right they've ultimately been willing to spend they spend for bets they've again they spent like uh, $61,000 on Hector Oliveira, a Cuban guy who was brought in prospect. He's a bust. They then pretty much pick up his salary to trade him. Like they've been willing to be aggressive and make mistakes. And that's ultimately what we're seeing. Again, I mentioned the Padres. I mentioned the Mets. They're taking these chances, I think, because the Dodgers kind of asserted that you're going to have to, um, to catch them, at least in the short run. Kai, where can people uh, follow you on social media? How can they uh, keep up? with what you're doing so anybody can follow me on instagram or twitter at kyla chingona so it's at k-y-l-a-c-h-i-n-g-o-n-a i hope i spelled that right <laughs> that sounds about right and if it is I'll, I'll correct it in post you know this has been a 
hectic first nine days of the year, I guess I'll say for, you know, what's going on. And, uh, I've been, you know, we've been talking about trying to get you on the pod for a while. I'm really happy we made this happen. It's been a great conversation. I'm really excited. I hope um, to all our listeners out there, uh, thank you for listening as always. Again, make sure to like and subscribe. If you do leave a five-star review, make sure to comment with a question for me and I'll answer it alongside my guest on a future episode. Thank you again to everyone for tuning in. This has been the 11th episode of Sound the Foghorn. Special thanks again to our guest, Kytavia Stafford. We'll be back next week with more talk of San Francisco Giants and all the news and happenings around Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Mark DeLuke. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.